hope so. I hope so too. I'm lucky for us. Lucky 13. Yeah. We made it to 13 episodes. Yep. We still haven't killed each other yet. No. No one argument. In the car. Sometimes. It's not That's why I make it to the back of the car. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I say, why do I have to sit here with all the crap? I've got my book in the front seat. That's right. You've got all the tables. We tables and chairs and everything. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what am I sitting in the back seat for? Lucky you didn't get a ride with me at all. Uh, well, lucky anything. Yeah. 13, a lucky number, episode 13. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope the you music en- bar. The music bar podcast. Tell, well, hope you enjoyed the one about the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a bit of an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And all the other episodes too. Leave a comment, everything like that. Subscribe, join up, tell friends, tell neighbours. Um, just get on Facebook and just tell people overseas. And I hope you liked the um, first edition of our little segment during the week. Oh, yeah. Dan did. That's right. That was pretty good. I hope you like that one. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, it's all got to start somewhere, Chris, doesn't it? It does. It all had to start somewhere. Yes. So let's go back in time. Let's get into the DeLorean. Oh, yeah, nice. Okay. Good we'll choice. Get, yeah, I know. We're getting to the DeLorean. We've got the flux capacitor going. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go back in time. To? To where it all began. We're talking about this thing called rock and roll music. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I like to do, we like to, you know, talk about what's happening now and talk about how it happened back then. And we've gone back, we did the 80s and we've done the... 91. 91. And we're going to, you know, like going back. I love going back and looking at where the whole thing started. Yep. And so where I, do you think it started? It's impossible to tell. It is. The end. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has their own opinions on it. That's the thing. It's that, uh, yeah. And like I said, I think last um, podcast I mentioned Fats Domino. Yes, you did. I was watching something the other day with him, and they were talking about how he kind of like started um, a lot of the first kind of rock and roll style of music. Yeah. And yeah. the segregation was changing because people who were white wanted to go and dance these songs that he was playing in these places that were only black. And that's just like, wow, this is amazing. That's so, kind of how it... it, it kind it, of like, yeah, it was very... very is it, it's funny, look, we, I mean, that's a good way to start. Mm. We can go to Fats Domino, but he's just one of many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at the time, rock and roll was a jazz, in, jazz euphemism for sex. Right. So that's where the essential thing is. Rock and roll is music to have sex to. Yeah. That's why the people thought it was demonic, I suppose. Yep. But it didn't, no one, not one person came out and went, here it is, rock and roll, we're going to do it. The yep. term rock and roll had been around, let's rock and roll all night with jazz songs and stuff like that. Yep. But a lot of it was relegated to, as you said, the black community. Yeah. There were the white kids who liked jazz, the beatniks in the early 50s, mm-hmm. and yep. they smoked reefer. Mm-hmm. And they were considered, whoa. Those kids were bad. Yep. Those kids were really bad. So it's amazing that the origins of this music that we love, talk about, obsess over, collect, everything like that, it started in the southern states of America. Yep. New Orleans. Or Memphis. Or Memphis, yeah, yeah. Or somewhere. You know, it, it all started in... Well, Fetch Domino was from New Tennessee Orleans. Tennessee is, is the state. No, you know, New Orleans is the city, yeah. yeah. But these southern states, you know, the... The Bible Belt, so to speak, the segregation. Yeah, it was. It, it all started there, and as you said, people like Fats Domino mm. came along, and it was the white kids who wanted to come and dance to this music. Yeah. So it it starts with the blues 
It mixed, yeah. it starts with the blues and it, 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 it's also a bit of country in there too. Yeah. Country was quite a big, you're looking at, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm going to go deep into the heart of Texas in this one today. <laughs> I'm going to go deep into the heart of Texas. We've talked about Texas, you know, and I think you mentioned something about Dallas, you know, everything's bigger in America or something like that. Um, you know, we, there's a whole lot of influences yeah. coming in. But it's when the white kids, I believe, started playing this black music yeah. that it becomes something. Yeah. You know, it's it's when a kid called Elvis Presley, a funny looking kid from Elvis Presley, gets this these old blues songs, but they, they speed them up a bit, don't mm. they? Yeah, they did. They, they, the, the kids sped it up a little bit. Um, and you've got to admit, when you listen to those old recordings, you've got to admit... They do sound like a bit of a din. That drum's going, it sounds like pots and pans and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But it was when, you know, that's why some people say, you know, the black man made the music, but the white man took it and and did something, or not so much did something yeah, with it. They they commodified it, I suppose. They they could sell it to the white kids. I think that's probably what it what it is. I think that's the whole thing behind Elvis Presley was the whole, if I can get a white kid to sing this black music. Yeah. Then you know, that's what the what um, do. That's what Sam Phillips, I think, said with Elvis. You know, yeah, that's what find. The producers, yeah. managers, one of the AR guys yeah. from the record labels were trying to find something that would match, like bring the white kids to that kind of thing. But also yeah. at the same time, the cars, cars um, came out. Well, not came out, but they were start, starting to buy cars, and you had movies. Mm. Um, there was a movie, I can't remember, it was called Blackboard something. Blackboard Jungle? Yeah. Mm. And that was a really influential movie back then for the kids because it was kind of rebellious. Yes, it was. Um, then oh. you also had the one with Marlon Brando. The Wild he, One? Wild One. But that came out in 19... When did that come out? 1950, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So people started getting involved with that and the way they dressed and the way they looked. Mm. So when Rock and Roll came out, all these white kids started wearing the black leather, the kind of jeans. Oh, that yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. Just like, I guess in the way very similar to what they did in Greece, the movie. Mm-hmm. And that started the rebellion side of it. Yeah, it was it was this teenage rebellion. It, yeah. Because once, well, last week, that's what I meant when we talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and institutionalising what was essentially yeah, yeah. rebellion. Yeah. And it, it like, we talked about Fats Domino there and mm-hmm. you're looking at Chuck Berry as well. Yep. Ike Turner, who we mentioned last week as well. Jerry Lewis. Rock, and I said Red Rocket. It's not Rock, Red Rocket. It's Rocket 66. That was the name of oh, the okay. song that he came out with. When you listen, if you ever listen to it, I encourage you to sort of find out, you'll hear hmm. the early stages of this rock and roll music. Yep. Chuck Berry and that guitar playing of his. Yep. And you've got Jerry Lee Lewis as yep. well. Jerry, white kid comes from that Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. you know, religious kind of background. Little Richard. little, And then you can't forget Little Richard <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, imagine was... growing up, imagine growing up black and gay in the Southern States of America in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. How no one's made a movie about Little Richard now, I, I'll never know. Well, even the video I watched the other day of him talking and showing what he did was just amazing to see him do what he did and like be accepted and by everybody mm. listening to him play, watching him play. Everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. And it was no, nothing about being black. There was nothing about being gay. It was just, wow. Yeah. What, that what was is so it? good to, different to this day and age, I guess. But It is. There still would have been that segregation though. Yeah, there, yeah, Cause yeah. a lot of these guys wouldn't have been allowed to have played 
in the same venue. But as we said, it was the way It was the starting of it all. It was the starting of it all. There was a rumbling. So there was no... That's what I've always found fascinating about the birth of rock and roll. Mm. It's not like... It's like any musical scene. Like, punk didn't just... A band just turned up. Even though they want you to believe that this band just turned up out of nowhere and all of a sudden punk is born. Yeah. Seeds are planted along the way. And, you know, and and it it takes effect. Yeah. And obviously these guys were playing and the young white kids were were going to see it. Yeah. Of course, these white kids are people like Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Elvis Presley and Roy Orbison. And um, even Tom Jones was on the ad uh, on the video. Tom talk, Jones, he was talking about it. Oh, he loved that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. they all did. You know, they all, they all loved the singers and everything mm. like that. Well, he was saying that it was really interesting to hear Chuck Berry sing "John Be Good." It was the first time really that you had a song where the singer would sing a different word, pretty much for every note of the song. Oh, and now I'm going to have to re-listen to that song <laughs> yeah. now. And that was really interesting to hear that too. Oh, you know? now I'm going to have to re-listen to yeah. "Johnny Be Good." I don't like anyone's covers. I know Judas Priest did a cover of Johnny Be Good. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, they did. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that now. Yeah. And I know Michael J. Fox did a pretty good version of it in Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. That That's, was actually a pretty killer scene. Yeah, that was a great scene. It was actually, you know, the whole Marvin Berry, <laughs> Chuck yeah. Berry. Listen yeah. to this song. Oh, I love that. It was, it was actually, that was actually very well done, you know. You, yeah. Your kids aren't, but you, your kids are going to love it, you know. Yeah. And I can imagine some audiences would have seen that mm. at the start and been a little shocked by the energy of it as i said yeah. it was sped up yeah because that's what the white kids kind of did they sped it up a little bit and they took those bluesy like if you ever listen to the original um hound dog mm-hmm. um i forget the name of the um the female artist who sang it but it's so different than what elvis did yeah it's a very much a slow bluesy sort you ain't up the hound dog mm-hmm. but when elvis sang it he sped it up yeah and he gave it this real energy and you can still listen to it. And, you, and I think that's the thing about it. You can probably look back and go, I don't like music from the 50s or whatever. But what I love about when I listen to that early rock and roll is the what I just said, yeah. the, the energy of it. You can hear it. Yeah. And the older I've gotten, the more I listen to it. And I think I can actually hear why people thought it was a din, what they called a din. It's just noise. It's just noisy. Because yeah. what was big at the time before all this started was Pat Boone. Yeah, and Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank Sinatra in the late '40s and the early '50s was the number one star in America. Mm. The American kids, and in England they had their own people and and all that sort of stuff. So pe- that was what people were listening to. Yeah, and it was all beautifully produced yeah. and beautifully sung, and just you know you could put it on the record on. But another big thing that happened for rock and roll, as we all know, was television. Yeah. yeah. You know, Bruce Springsteen said, once they saw Elvis Presley on TV, you could, that genie was out of the bottle. Yep. Once they put him on television. Once he wiggled his leg and his hips. He wiggled his legs and his girls hips and crazy. girls went crazy. Yep. And guys got genu- genuinely upset about that. That This mm. girl that they were seeing, all of a sudden would look at Elvis or whoever was up on the stage doing their thing and would go, how dare you? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. You know, they didn't sort of look at it. It took a while. It took a, the women got onto it first, didn't they? But then the guy started dressing like him. What's Their it? hair. What kind of thing? Well, my dad had an Elvis hairstyle. He said they all did. Oh, really? <laughs> Some guys kept their Elvis hairstyles right up until after Elvis died. 
Maybe this is a whole generation of old blokes. They've yeah, still got yeah. the quiff and the, and the sideburns and everything. It's like, and the ducktail haircut. It's like, it never got better than 1957, <laughs> did it? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, you can just imagine, and I said, it was, it's that energy and the noise of it all. Because you really listen to that. It's, it sounds like it's all recorded in one studio, which it was, yeah. with one mic or whatever. And they were, they weren't sort of playing these instruments. They were kind of hitting them yep. almost. Yep. You, you watch, you know, you see that old, the old double basses they were playing. They were hitting them mm. in a way. And it also was the amplification. It, it, it was a, a step toward the amplification of music. And the distortion. And the distortion, because that was it. It was all coming out of electronic amplifiers. Yeah. And it was loud. Mm-hmm. And you had to keep turning up louder. Yeah. Because the more shows they were playing, the more the girls would scream, yeah. the more they couldn't hear themselves. So they had to keep turning everything up louder. Mm. And you just imagine, and the thing was, it was still this kind of unretain, un- unattainable thing for them. It was like this, not everyone, it wasn't the start of bands, so no, to speak. No, They were still very solo artists. Well, yeah, and also, who was writing the songs? That was the big thing. Mm. It was always... You never knew, there was not a thing to know who was writing the songs. A lot of them were older songs that were redone. Redone, yeah. Professional writers, that sort of thing. Um, you had, probably the only one, Chuck was writing his own songs. Right. Chuck Berry would yep. have been writing his own stuff. And I'm sure Little Richard. He was Rich- a lot older though too, than the rest of them. Oh, he looked older. Well, I'm pretty sure he yeah, was, he a little looked- bit older than the rest. I think yeah. he was already in his like 30s or mid 30s. He might have been. When he came out. He, he'd been years. touring for a while. Yeah. So they all did this thing called the, what they call the Chitlin circuit. Right. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all, I'm sorry if that's a racist word, but that's just what they called it, the Chitlin circuit, where they would play all the small little black okay. communities. They'd go on these buses and, and play all these areas, you know, play these dances and, and stuff like that, you know, and um, dance suggestively. If you've seen that movie, Walk Hard, which is bloody funny, the dancing suggestively at, the, <laughs> at these venues was... <laughs> It's pretty funny, but um, you know that that's what they they would do. It was like they were just sort of relegated to get on the bus, play, get on the bus, and keep going. Yep. And the the white kids when they sort of started did that too. Now I'm going to go into Texas here. Okay, moving along geographically. There's Memphis. You've been to Tennessee, and then we go to Texas, mm-hmm. biggest state in America. Mainland. Yep. Mainland. Well, what's the other big state? What, Hawaii? No, Alaska. I suppose, yeah, Alaska. Yeah, but what happens in Alaska? Cool things happen in Alaska. Oh, do they? <laughs> That's another discussion for another day. Um, a guy called Buddy Holly. Yeah, that's right. Buddy Holly. See, I think as much as an influence on every rock and roll is, is Elvis and... Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry and, and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis, I think... I sort of call them the big four of the original right. thing. You know, they're, they're the big four. Yeah. Is Texas, I think Buddy Holly has more of an influence. Than all those guys. Than all those guys. Mm, okay. That's an interesting point. My point is this. Buddy Holly, he started out doing country music because that is exactly. But he was writing his own songs. Right. And he was a prolific songwriter. Mm-hmm. In, in, in his young day, he was just churning them out. And once again, he was taking country licks yep. and country style, speeding it up. See, country music's massive in America, as we know. Yeah. yeah. It's big around the world, but in America... It's a whole... 
different ball game. Oh, it's, it's a different ball game, isn't it? Yeah. And it's probably I, I'd say nowadays in America, next to hip hop, it's it's hip hop and country music. They're the two mm. biggest forms there. Rock and roll's not as big as it used to be. No, probably right. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, rock and roll's not as big as it used to be, but uh, I'd say because Buddy Holly had his, he had the Crickets, who were his backing band. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of they were kind of this early start of the band, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. They were they were the start of that, and they had some success in in that way. Mm-hmm. And once again, touring the country, but Buddy Holly made it to the northern states as well. I mean, Elvis took on a national thing as well. Yeah, but Buddy Holly went national as well and um they basically everyone called rock and roll a fad yeah they did too because because that's why it was always sort of like to the kids you know we've talked about how there's a generation before us that rock and roll was just for kids you know we've grown up still collecting and being but i know my parents it was like that that was over that was behind them yeah but you, you, it's sort of hard to kind of figure out. I mean, we look at it and they go, it's a fad, it'll never last. It was noisy, but the radio stations were playing it. Mm-hmm. Kids were going to the shows. But understand this, by 1959, it was literally over. It, it, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was literally So over. when do you think it came back? I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> 59, okay. Yeah, 59. Think about it. 1959... Um, Elvis was in the army. Yep. He got drafted into the army yep. in 1957. So he literally was lit for two gone. years. By 1957, he was gone. He drafted in the army and he was in Germany. So 1959, he's in Germany. He's drafted. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis did a tour of England. He, he crossed over to England and got and was um, then said, oh, who's this young girl beside you? Oh, this is my 13-year-old cousin. She's my wife. And the English went, you yeah, what? Right. <laughs> That's how we do things in the southern states of America. I didn't know that. <laughs> Did you not know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You wouldn't try it at this day and age. Hell no. <laughs> Man alive. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Yeah. So he was kind of on the outs. I reckon. Um... Chuck Berry, I think, had gone to jail. Oh. I don't know what for this time, but he, he was in and out. He, he, yep. he was a troubled, troubled, troubled man. And Little Richard, because they got him to tour Australia, and on his Australian tour, the plane hit bad weather and bad turbulence, and he was so terrified that he was like, if I, oh God, if I ever get out of this, I'm quitting rock and roll and devoting my life to God. Which he got out of it, and he did. He effectively quit rock and roll, and um, became a minister. Really? Yeah. He wow. went back to it. He went back to it in in years to come. But during that time. But during that time, so it was like, and then Buddy Holly, February second, February second or twenty second, nineteen fifty nine. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper all died in that plane crash. Yeah. You know. And it was like the the five. So literally, rock is dead. It was that, that's why people do. And Don McLean wrote in that song, you know, the yeah, day yeah. the music died. It was the day rock and roll kind of died in mm. 1959. And it's just hard to believe that, isn't it? It's incredible. You know, for four years, it, it. And so that's why I think there's this whole thing that people thought oh, it's a fad, yeah. and the fad is gone. Yeah, and they were, felt like they were right. Yeah, 
Because if you look at the early 60s, music became this incredibly polished product again. Yeah. I think one of the biggest selling songs of the early 60s was How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Yeah. I heard that on the radio. Or on the Wait, documentary, where did you hear that on the radio? On the documentary the other day, they were playing that in um, on the documentary I watched. And I was like, imagine having that on the radio. Yeah. Like, I can't think of that. It was, it was all these very slick yeah. orchestral productions. Mm. And I think some of it's good. And as I said, I had brought in those books, the you know the biggest selling albums, because albums didn't become a thing until the mid '60s. Before that, was that the Beatles thing kind of started the yeah, album the, being Be- the Beatles and Dylan and Dylan, yeah. yeah, the Beatles and Dylan. Before that, when you look at like the biggest selling albums of the '60s, it's all movie soundtracks, right? And it's this one of them. There's this Belgian nun. The singing Belgian nun had this big selling album. This The Ballad of the Green Berets was wow. one of the biggest selling albums. Comedy records oh, yeah. were huge in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the James Bond soundtracks sold big time. West Side Story was one of the biggest selling soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And because by that stage in the 60s, Elvis had got out of the army. And what did he go and do? Made movies, movies which he just did the music for. And those things sold really well. Yeah. The soundtracks, Blue Hawaii, GI Blues, all those sorts of things. And that wasn't really the rock and roll of Elvis Presley from the 50s. No. There was, as I said, very slick productions, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Then you go over, but in Detroit, Barry Gordy forms Motown Records, and you got these soul artists. You got, well, you got all those Motown artists that yeah. are coming out in the, in the early 60s. And you've also got um, down south, Aretha Franklin's coming through. So all these, I mean, we talked about the 500 songs of all time. Yeah. You know, those soul artists, Sam Cooke, are coming out. Once again, it goes back to the black artists. Mm. The black artists kept it going. But, you know, Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas. It's got to be an influential song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many people have bloody... Covered that. I know. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever watched the um, David Bowie, Mick Jagger version recently? You've got to ask, what were they on? <laughs> Those two, <laughs> those two together, are as high as kites. <laughs> <make. laughs> There's no way you could have made that video with a with a sober, s- sober. <laughs> no, no, they, they they both look like they're just like <laughs> not not there, not there. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. I think you want to know the eighties. That's it. I, I liked um, Eddie Murphy talking about in his um, in one of his comedy. Movies mm-hmm. where he talks about Elvis always being told to sing the line. Yeah. Like, what do I say here? Sing the. Uh, We're going to win this race, Elvis. Going to win this race. Yeah. <laughs> Lemonade. <laughs> a cool, refreshing drink. It was kind of like that with Elvis's movies. Everything he did was like just put it. Yeah. yeah it was funny. <laughs> and it wasn't literally. That's why I go back to went to Buddy Holly. Yeah. Because I think that was a direct influence on the Beatles. Because mm. by that stage, the British kids are listening to yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're listening to all that. Even though they were listening to it before, not like the American kids, the British kids kept listening to that. Yeah. And they reckon it was because in Liverpool, it was a port city. So yeah. all the sailors would come with their records and stuff like okay. that, you know, and, and sell it to these British kids. And, you know, you can imagine a young John Lennon and Paul McCartney are buying these records and they loved Buddy Holly and they learnt all those songs. Yeah. And when they formed the Quarrymen and they, you know, they learnt how to play them and, God, they learned to play them very well. Yeah. And the big thing, I think, the massive, the, I think to me, this was the seismic 
change in rock, which makes us go from that 1950s to what we love today is songwriting. Yeah. Buddy Holly wrote his own songs. The others had songwriters for them, or they covered material or something like that. But the Beatles wrote their own songs. Mm. They went, well, if this guy can do it, we can do it. We can do it too. Yeah. And because then you've got the other guy in America who's got the folk scene happening, and Bob Dylan is writing his own songs mm -hmm. too. Because a lot of the folkies are doing old American folk songs. Some yeah. are writing their own songs, of course, but Dylan is writing his own lyrics. And these things are just like, this guy's 22. Yeah. And he's writing some of the most amazing stuff. Mm. You know, ly lyrically, Dylan is out of this world. On point, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it still is. You listen to some of that Bob Dylan stuff. I'm a bit of a fan. Yeah. And I'll listen to some of that early Bob Dylan stuff, and I'm like, you know, where does it come from? Mm. You know? Drugs. Do you think? <laughs> Probably. I think all they were doing was a bit of marijuana, I think, in those I'm days. Pretty, yeah, that's what I'm saying, drugs. Drugs. Oh, would have been marijuana, most likely. Yeah, but I don't know. Never made me want to write lyrics like that. It just made me giggle a lot and in the end fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's mushrooms. Well, I think LSD came about in the mid-60s mm, or something. Like. Once I think, you can tell when the LSD hit in because everything yeah. kind of went. Pink Floyd were born. Yeah, Pink Floyd. It was like, uh, <laughs> wait, what? Pink Floyd? What the hell's a Pink Floyd? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which one's pink? It's funny how um, you're saying that Music came from Buddy Holly from Texas, went to England, and then the rock started there with the Beatles, and, and then later on, the British heavy wave of music yeah. went back to America mm. and started the thrash scene. It's amazing. I... So went from New, uh, from Texas or from the States to England, and then another scene was created based on what started originally in the same country. It's funny that, um, because... I remember reading once someone said about the anything to do with music. The Americans seem to start it, mm. but the English seem to refine it. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny the two when with the Beatles coming because yeah, once the Beatles, there's this thing I remember hearing Steve Van Sant say. Um, was it in February? Was it February third, nineteen sixty four? There were no bands in America, not a single one. Then on February fourth. The Beatles played on the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then on February 5th, every garage in America was getting filled with guitars and amplifiers and, and drums, drums yeah. and people were starting bands. I think that's where the real thing of rock and roll started, mm. was when the Beatles went, we play our own instruments, we write our own songs, we sing our own songs, yeah. we do all of it ourselves, and everyone went... You mean I can do that too? Yes. Before that, it was all big band stuff. It was, wasn't like it? Like behind yes. Little Richard. It was a big band. There was a band. They had, but they weren't right their own. They were backing bands. They were backing bands. And they were hired musicians. Yeah. yeah they were backing bands. Yeah. So I guess. I mean, I'm sure Little Richard wrote a wop bop a loo bop a lop bam boom, <laughs> which to me is still one of the greatest lyrics of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think about that, you know, when you, when you really look, mm. and that's why everyone sort of goes back to the Beatles. It's not so much they say, um, I mean, yeah, the early Elvis and stuff like that, but it all comes to the, it all ends up going back to the Beatles. These mm. four guys from Liverpool who kind of changed yep. the world. 
And they were a bit exotic. You see, the Americans like to think of the English as being exotic. Yeah. Well, they did back then. Now well, they... The Beatles used to dress up differently than what we know them as. Didn't they wear leather and... When they first started... When as, they first in, started... Because they went to Germany. Right. Okay. And as the quarrymen and became the silver... Well, they went to Germany and they, they played in Hamburg night after night after night. So they were as tight as anything. Yeah. As far as, you know... And when they were over there, I think they got photographed with the black leather yeah. and they became the Silver Beatles. And Stu Sutcliffe was still in the band at that stage, but when they all came back to England, he stayed in Germany. Right. Um, when the rest of the band came back to, um, Big back mistake, to England. Big mate. He ended up dying of some brain hemorrhage or something like that, Stu <laughs> Sutcliffe. when he knew what he missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> he stayed for love. Oh, really? Yeah, have you ever seen that movie? I can't remember what it's called. Um, Backbeat. Ah. He fell in love with the photographer uh, right. who took those photos, those famous photos oh, okay. of them in the black leather. The Astrid, I think her name was. He fell in love with her. Right. And when they were going back to England, he wanted to stay in Germany with her. So there you go. There you go. Love, mate. Crazy. Love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he got back to England and changed their look. Yeah, they changed their look. They hooked up. They... It's a very much like Buddy Holly look, isn't it, really? I don't know. Yeah, the suits and everything. The suits and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buddy Holly had the, the monkeys suit. there too, though. No, we're not talking. The monkeys are a different thing. Okay. People will kill you for that, dude. If you go, no, in the look. Well, the monkeys were a manufactured group, and they came out in the nineteen sixty-seven or something like that. Stock Aitken Wardman were around by then, were they? Oh, mate, they, they were manufacturing. People can tell you Led Zeppelin were a manufactured group. Really? Yeah, people do say that, though. Wow. Yeah. Well, you think about it. At the time, Jimmy Page was. Um, he was like the hot session guy. Right. Yeah, he was the guy. They reckon in anything that came out of England in between 1966 and 68 when he formed Zeppelin was him. Okay. Like if there was a session, it was he either played on it or he co-wrote it or wrote it or something like wow. that. Yeah, he was the guy. Like Lukather, uh, Steve Lukather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Lukather, yeah. <laughs> I think he's played on everybody's albums. Oh, hasn't he? What? Man alive. Man alive. Crazy. Yeah, well, that was Jimmy Page in the 60s. Oh, he, he played on everything. Mm -hmm. And um, and John Paul Jones was a session player too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when he formed, he originally tried to get, um, I think I might have said, Keith Moon and John Entwistle from The Who to join his, he had this idea for a band, a heavy blues band. Okay. And they all said, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. no. No. No, we're in The Who, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who? I like the Who, but they're, yeah. they're good. But Led Zeppelin were better. Hmm. But the, yeah, so that's that's where it all. That's where we all. All the things that we like, it comes from the Beatles. Springsteen, the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Ozzy Osbourne. He's always said it's the Beatles. And that's where I. Well, I'm going back to Ozzy here, but the Ozzy had that sense of melody. That's where they say he got it. He loved the Beatles melody. And, you know, he, he thought to himself when he saw, heard the Beatles, I've got to get out of Birmingham. Oh, wow. I've got to, this is, you know, I've got to do something. And maybe, because he was like going to jail for robbery and all that sort of yeah, yeah. petty theft. theft. And he, he was, he was going nowhere fast, you know, yeah. and hooked up with three other hard men from, <laughs> and they went, we work in factories and this is what it sounds like. <laughs> in the middle of the day. I got another. Fun, I remember what's another funny Aussie story. Um, his dad. What did his dad? When he played the first Black Sabbath album to his family, mm 
<laughs> he put it on, and now he was saying these words, and out came this demon music. You know that opening yeah. three, you know, oh, the, the pentatonic scale. This demon music came out, and his dad turned to him and said, is alcohol the only thing you take, son? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that, that, that's where... um. That's what I like to sort of look at. I do like to think, you know, what we like, it comes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it all does. And it all sort of comes from the... And when you really listen to those early Beatles too, it's still clangy. It's got this clangy sort of sound to it. Yeah. Like they're hitting everything as hard as they can. But they've got this incredible melody. But you can understand why people went, oh, they're noisy. Yeah. And yeah. they've got long hair. And then they're going to corrupt the youth and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, but you know, I like the cute one. That little drummer, he's he's, he's a cute little drummer. Yeah, the guy funny. could barely, barely hits the drums. You sort of sitting there. There is a drummer there. Yeah, no, he was very soft, wasn't he? Yeah, but he, he kept it together he kept it. in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. Lucky for him. Lucky <laughs> for him, he didn't leave and meet a girl. Yeah, lucky for him, he replaced another guy called Pete Best or something like that. Yeah, I think. Right, yeah. Something like that. And I think when they toured, they toured Australia in '63. I remember looking at some stats of that. They did two shows a night. Oh, really? A Be- yeah, this is it. A Beatles set lasted 30 minutes. Yeah, I guess it would. The songs are only like two or so minutes. Oh, they two are. Three, yeah. Two, two minutes. Short. Yeah. I remember someone, I uh, know, we were going through some Beatles songs, and it's like opening chord or riff or whatever, first verse, second verse, or first verse, bridge, chorus, within the first 40 seconds. Wow. They hooked you like that. Mm. That's that's what you call the standard for pop music. It's yeah. like, you know, like even Nirvana, and we're talking about even Kurt Cobain, they had to say to Kurt, John Lennon would have done this for him to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this something John would have done. You know, like even Kurt Cobain, he got all the, he got all this punk from everywhere, but to him, it was still the Beatles. The mm. melody had to come from the Beatles. They, they had it all, mm. you know, and, Let's say, you know, I, oh, you've got to do an overdub here. And you go, oh, I don't do overdubs. Well, John would have sung a harmony. John Lennon would have sung the harmony there. Oh, yeah. right, all right, yeah, okay. I'll like, do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, that sort of thing. That's funny. Yeah, well, there you go. It's an interesting look back, isn't it? Yeah. Sadly, there's only Beatles that comes up as the main. Why? Yeah, you, why don't you like them? Oh, it's just, I don't know. It's not that I don't like them. I'm not into their music. I yeah. just find it really... Dull and boring. Really? Mm. Oh, I never, never really got into any of their music. Yeah, I don't understand know. the history. I understand why everyone loves them as much as they do, and oh, no. I get that. It's essential listening. I just in my can't book. listen to it. I don't listen to it. It's essential listening in my books. Yeah, I know. Years ago, I bought they they came out with those um box sets, the re remastered box sets, and I bought that. Mm. I wish I bought the mono ones actually, because I, I there's something about mono recordings. Really. Yeah, there is. To me, there's something about mono recordings. They, they, there's something about the You're showing your age, the density of mono yeah. recording. Yeah, you know, there, there's something about it. But they, they, I brought, I brought the bought the stereo box set. You can't get the mono ones anymore. They, they were like hotcakes, yeah, hotcakes. Yeah, Beatles collectors, man. Yeah, but I, I bought them as an essential thing because to me, it's like what I just said. This is if you want to know anyone like my kids who haven't. But it's still sitting there. But if my kids ever said, Dad, where does it all come from? There it is. Hmm. This is the Beatles box set. There it is. 
Start from the beginning and you'll hear what you're listening to now all comes from. No matter yeah, what you're listening to. I think if you say it all comes from there, I'd go back further and show my family, my kid, further back. Because it doesn't come from there. They no, just no, refined it. They refined it, yeah. yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, and we talked about refining before. Punk really started in America. Mm. But it wasn't the punk as we know it. It was, uh, it was a different thing. And mm. they didn't know what to call it. These guys were just making music because they didn't want to listen to Led Zeppelin anymore, or yeah. you know, and they liked the girl groups of the '60s. You know, the, they loved that early Beatles stuff, and they wanted to do it themselves. And they came up with their own thing. But it was the English who took it, and made it angry, and gave it that punk edge that we yeah. know of as punk. But it started in America in the early '70s with the Ramones and Talking Heads and Television and all those bands. And but I find the metal one that you said. What was happening in America before the new wave of British heavy metal? Because the British came out with it first, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people do mention Blue Cheer as one of the first metal bands. Where? Blue Cheer. I think they were Dutch, though. Never heard of them. You, Chris? <laughs> I haven't heard of them. You've got to hear Summertime Blues. That's probably where... See, that's the thing. No one knows where metal really came from. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying metal came from... San Francisco, um, Thrash did. Well, Thrash did, But yeah. I think metal came from the UK. I think it did. Black I mean, Sabbath. Black Sabbath would probably... But some people even point back to um, Helter Skelter, the Beatles. Oh, yeah. That's probably one of the first really metal kind of recordings. And that's been done to death by the bands too, hasn't it? Uh, not, and not as good. I think Motley Crue did it. They did an all right well. version, yeah. It's a really good song, I think. And um, mm. it, I, I like the Beatles version because I think Paul McCartney just screams at lyric really well I just think yeah I'm, I think Vince sings are better <laughs> no he doesn't yes he does yeah yeah I like the Monty Crew version better than the Beatles version I listen to you listen to you <laughs> well the band I was in we played the Helder Skelter version of Monty Crew's version did you yeah okay then and we were heavier we had more distortion than what yeah. the uh, Beatles had so yeah, but they played with it a bit. But yeah, metal did start in England. Black Sabbath. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Even though, started in San Fran. Mm, but they came, they, those kids, those guys in San Francisco were listening oh, to that stuff. And yeah. they they heard that and they said, well, we can go faster. Yeah. That's what it and was. And they did. And they did. Yeah. They went faster. And Metallica said, oh, we'll play every riff we know in one <laughs> song. Well, that's what I was thinking the other day about the, um, you were saying only a few podcasts ago, Mastodon's new album. They've kind of taken a look at the Metallica Black album and went and changed their style of let's bring a few ballady kind of things into their new album, which I think mm. it's a double album, fifteen songs. It's, it's Gee, that's a long one. That's a long it's record. It's pretty man. good. I love the album personally, but there's mm. a lot of the the second half of the album, fifteen songs, would be very ballady, I guess, oh, compared okay. to what the rest of Macedon would known for. Okay. Um. So they probably are taking it a little bit lighter and a bit mm. more. Concentrating more on the music and their mm. writing yeah. and their singing, more so than just trying to fit every riff they possibly can. Because I think I mentioned before, there's a song called "Hearts Alive," which I love, which goes for 13 minutes. Ah, uh, I better have a listen to this. And honestly, just every riff under the sun, isn't it? And it's just great. And I love Mastodon because even on the new album, their songs are like a little journey. They go for six or so minutes. Some of these songs, but they I like. I they just like take you on a different. I like songs that ultimately do that. Yeah, they. That's why I do like long songs, but I do like songs that start somewhere and like a great movie. 
Yeah. By the end of it, I'm in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I love movies and songs like that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just that's a little thing. I just wanted to talk about where it all came from, Chris. Yeah. Give it some context and have you sit there and go, that's all right, Dan, but the Beatles still are not good in my opinion. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just not a fan in the sense that I won't listen to them. But you're not a fan of Ronnie Dio. You know, why would you be? Oh. Oh, why do I do this? Because <laughs> you love my company. I do, Chris. I do, and I love doing this. And it's time to go. Yes, it is. Let's wrap this up right Thank now. Thank you very much again for watching. Okay, and, Comment. This, and the review this week will be from Chris. Yes. An and I can't wait album. to see what it is. It's Yeah, we, we've got to try and pick something too. Like mine was pretty interesting. I got to admit, because you've probably never heard me talk about it. And Chris's is interesting too. And I think that's the thing. You know, we we want to show that we know, well, we don't want to know everything about it, but we, we've got a pretty broad palette of tastes between the two of yeah. us. My album that I'm choosing is very different. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard a bit of it and I was a little surprised, but so yeah. But um, anyway, like, subscribe, put thumbs ups. And all that sort of stuff. And comment. Comment. Beep your car horn, whatever. Please. <laughs> Skyrite. Skyrite. Talk to you soon. See you next week. Bye.